Good morning. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? good. Oh, that was some good. That was like half-hearted. Okay. How are you guys doing this morning? We are going to hear one of the craziest stories in the entire Bible. So much so that today when we talk about this passage in Joshua at the end, it says, a day like this has never happened and never will happen again. That's a pretty crazy story. I, I, it's such a crazy story that I almost, I almost told Dawson back there just, hey, can we just leave the kids in here because this story is so good. We got we to gotta tell the story because there is some amazing moments where God does some amazing things. And in this passage, that this is just, it's completely off the charts. So I'd like to welcome you here. Maybe you're watching online. I'd like to welcome you online. I'd like to welcome you here in person as well. We are going to be in the book of Joshua and I need some, some like sad noise. What's a, what's a good sad noise? It's the last week we're in Joshua. We're going to move on to 1 John. Oh, yeah. This is the last week. We're continuing the series today, Courage Over Fear, in the book of Joshua. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 10. Next week, we get the privilege of hearing from a pastor friend of mine that's going to be doing kind of a video message for us. And I'm excited about that as well because I think it's a message we need to hear as a church. So if you have our app, if you don't have our app on your phone, you, this is the one time where the pastor's going to say, pull out your phone during the sermon. Um, you can get our app on uh, both iTunes and Google Play. If you have our app, you click at the top of the feed, you can go to Uversion, and that's where our digital bulletin notes and everything that you need. And if you're watching online, you just have one device, and then you have the other device that you can um, look the notes up. So let me pray to get us, get us started and as we go into Joshua chapter 10. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We ask, God, that you would move in this room and you would move in the rooms of the people that are watching, maybe online. God, we just ask, as we look at this passage, that you would help us to see this power that God has and help us to see that prayer is something that in every situation we need to have and do and be. Be constantly prayerful, focused on the reality that you are the one who has all the power. You're the one that has saved us from our sins, as well as sometimes you save us from ourselves and the mistakes that we make. So Lord, we ask this morning that we would have ultimate dependence on you in all that we do. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. Today I'm going to talk about ultimate dependence. Have you ever felt like your life was out of control? How many of you on March 16th thought it would be 15 days? Yeah, life's out of control, right? And I, I don't mean just something that happens for a moment, though, like for example, I have a longboard at home and my kids think I skateboard, which I don't. I'm 35. That's so like my 15-year-old self. But my 15-year-old self thought it would really be cool to skateboard down a hill. Anyone skateboard down a hill and not break an arm? Okay, a few of you. A few of you have done that. I went downhill on a skateboard and then there was a turn that I didn't realize was there. And so I went head first right into a bush. And it basically looked like someone had clawed at my face and my whole body because I was in a t-shirt and shorts and it was all over. So when I got home, my mom thought I got beaten up by someone. It was crazy. It was crazy weird. That's one out of control moment. But I'm saying your whole life is out of control. 
when you, have you ever had a moment that you felt you needed someone else? Yeah, I have. There are moments in life that you need to go to the one with the most power. It's, it's that moment where there's this, this ultimate dependence that we're dependent on a creator God that created us. And many times we only go to God, and this has been a theme of Joshua, we only go to God when we have trials or after those trials. But here in chapter 10 of Joshua, he prays a prayer in the middle of a battle. It's not before or after, it's during. And that this battle that God's assured a victory. It's a prayer that's audacious, that some might call crazy. Let's, let's just say it, call it crazy. It's completely crazy because if God answers this prayer, it will have never happened in the history of the entire universe. But he prays this impossible prayer, one that only God can answer. Only God can answer it. So turn with me to Joshua chapter 10. I'm just going to read the first two verses. And what you're going to see in this passage is I'm going to, I'm going to go through a couple verses and kind of give some of the background. And we're going to lead in towards the end because it all builds to verse 14. So verse 1 and 2 of Joshua chapter 10 says, As soon as Adonai Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and had devoted it to destruction, doing, doing it to Ai, uh, wait, yeah, doing to Ai and its king as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them. Remember last, last week, if you weren't here last week, Gibeonites came, they deceived the Israelites, they made a covenant of peace with them when they should, the Israelites shouldn't have done that. So they're going to get draw, drawn into all this. The king, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city, like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. All its men were warriors. That, that's, that's obviously something that, that causes a little bit more fear in the king's heart. The king of Jerusalem starts a coalition. Don't we love hearing the word coalition? Anyone that's lived through the last 20 years and different wars... There's a coalition. We're going to do this together. There's a coalition. They got a coalition because they'd heard about Ai and Jericho's destruction. It's the first time in the Bible that Jerusalem is mentioned by that name. There's a couple times it's mentioned before. The location is mentioned as Salem, or it's also mentioned, in one case, it's called the Lord will provide, which Salem is more peaceful, and then the Lord will provide is a, a different name that it had. This coalition is emboldened because Israel made peace with Gibeon. They, they, they were wondering, why would they do that? Is there something they know that we don't know? But the Gibeonites used deception to get this peace. One thing that we didn't know before this, and we didn't know in chapter 9, is that they were warriors. They made themselves look weak to deceive Israel, but then they were warriors. And why would the king, I mean, when you think like this, the king says... Why would warriors want to make peace with them? Is there something there that's going on? It says the king of Israel feared greatly. So I, I can presuppose from what, what's said here, the king thinks if Gibeon was a great city, larger than Ai, it was made up of warriors that wanted peace, we must go to war or else be destroyed. We've, we've got no choice. We can't make peace because they're going to know where we're from. We can be like the king of Jerusalem, though, just like that. When we oppose God, we have a choice. He, he's opposing God. He knows 
this God that the Israelites have, have been serving, the God that we serve. And we have a choice then. We can make peace with God or we can fight him. We can repent and reflect on what he's done for us or we can resist. And the king makes a choice. He's going to resist. He didn't have the courage to make peace with God. He said, you know what? I'm going to get other cities together and maybe the five of us, we can get together and we can destroy Israel. We're just like him sometimes. Do we have courage to make peace with God or do we resist in fear? And the plot thickens really quick here in verse 3. It, it, it goes even further. They have some, a little bit of, uh, can you say negotiation, deception here going on as well? Because they're not going to attack Israel directly. And I think that's important to see this. It says, So Adoni Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hamham, king of Hebron. Don't you love these names? To Piram, king of Jarmuth. To Jaffa, king of Lashish. To Debir, king of Eglon. That's a fun one saying, come up to me and help me. Let us strike Gibeon, for has made peace with Joshua and the people of Israel. When the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lashish, the king of Eglon, gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. The plot thickens. There are five kings that have decided that they're only option is to make war. They're going to make war. And all these other kings that it's describing are all south of Jerusalem. As I was reading and, and researching this, there's, this is really the battle for all of southern Israel. They're all, it, it's, it's the whole area that Israel was promised by God. But they also have a plan. They, they have a plan as they attack. They're going to attack the Gibeonites. And this serves two purposes. If you've ever read books about war or, or read history books, it's, this, is, this is ingenious how they're doing this. One is an act of revenge against Gibeon because of their betrayal. They betrayed the other Canaanite peoples. The other one is to test the strength of the resolve of Israel's peace treaty with Gibeon. This, this peace, this covenant of peace, well, if Israel doesn't come to help, guess what happens? They're liars. They're, they're, it basically, it, it, makes it, it makes it out like they're complete losers. It's the equivalent of breaking the NATO treaty in our world. So if a NATO country is invaded, all the other NATO countries act as if they were invaded too. And so this is what that is right here. So when Gibeon is, is being attacked, it's as if Israel's being attacked. And so... so for these other, these, this coalition, it's a win-win situation. They either destroy the Gibeonites or they show the weakness of Israel and their God because their God is not an honest God and won't be faithful to his word. So they're choosing to fight out of fear of the Israelites. Do we fight out of fear? I mean, have you ever noticed that? We fight out of fear. We fight things because we have fear in some way. It creates anxiety and we, we, we get frustrated. But when God has great victories... Fear comes to sinners. We become afraid. Because they can choose God or face the consequences. And really quick here, it gets, it gets pretty crazy. If you, if you think anything so far is crazy, which it's not, it's about to get really crazy. Like, this should be turned into a movie crazy because I want to see this on the, on the TV screen because I can't even imagine this. It starts in verse 6. 
And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp at Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up to Gilgal. He and all the, men, all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them. Common phrase. Do not fear them. For I've given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came upon them suddenly, having marched up all night from Gilgal. The Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of ascent at Beth Horon and struck them as far as Askada and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel, while they were going down the ascent of Beth Horon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Eskada, and they died. And there were more that died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Anyone yet feel like this is something that you got told as a kid, as a story, because it's so amazing, so miraculous? The Gibeonites asked for help with an urgency that we've seen before. Chapter 9, they deceive with this urgency, like we've got crumbled bread and we've been traveling so far. They do the same thing. They say, come quickly, save us, help us. And they're overly dramatic, just like they were before. It's all in the words of a command, though. And that's when when I read this, I didn't didn't think of it that way, but I saw it and I realized that's what that that word is, is meaning. You must save us. It's urgent. It's like they're yelling, like, But we just saw that in the last chapter. And it says, relax your hand. It, what they're saying in that phrase is kind of like a saying we might have now. But relaxing your hand means that our lives are in your hands. Relax your hand. Take care of us. Help us. Joshua, you know, he's, he's a pretty good leader. He's made some mistakes, as we've seen. But he was faithful to this covenant and goes to help. Israel had an advantage. And I'm not going to give a pop quiz about the advantage. Because it's because they had one God. They were one people under one God. And they would receive the victory because something so simple, but yet we forget every day. And I forget constantly that God has supreme, absolute, and ultimate power. Supreme, absolute, and ultimate power. He is Michael Jordan and LeBron mixed. He is, name someone. Name who's the greatest. Muhammad Ali, he's the greatest. He's everything. And, and God has supreme, absolute, and ultimate power, and he's completely sovereign. He, he, he is in control, but he is also the one that you need to go to. We're going to see. The church, like Israel, must be united under Jesus Christ if it's going to be victorious. Every one of you goes out and leaves here, and you have situations you encounter every week that I have no way of knowing what it's like to live as you. But God does. And so in this moment, God has all this power, and so he chose to use this situation to show Israel who he is. Joshua's character here, his faithfulness, is a reflection of God's character. Verse 8, God says, 
to Joshua, he starts by saying, do not fear them. God's got this. When, when, we, when we feel attacked in our life, whatever reason, whatever thing that's overwhelming us, on some level, we need to say to ourselves, and we need to read his word, do not fear them, whatever it is, and then also realize God has got this. With his unlimited power, the Lord God of the universe says here, you will win and have total victory. That's what he says to Joshua. It's not a partial victory. It's a total victory. God's going to wipe them out. I know that sounds really graphic. It's like, they are going to be done, Joshua. So you need to march forward. Imagine marching all night. Can you imagine the complaints? I mean, let's just be honest. Anyone want to walk all night? That sounds really fun after being up all day. I mean, is it, yeah, it's men, but men, let's be honest. We would complain if we walked all night after being up all day. God has supreme, absolute, and unlimited power. When God says don't fear, we need the courage to move past our fear and trust God at his word. God's commands should lead to action. There has to be action. Joshua felt this urgency. They marched overnight, and you know how many miles it was? I like researched this like constantly because I was like, they marched all night, that's crazy. 20 miles they marched 20 miles overnight. And then they surprised this coalition. If you have your Bible with you, look at verse 10. Verse 10. Every single verb there is a singular verb. Singular verb. It's God doing this in him alone. The words there used to show his power. He causes panic to the enemy. He strikes the enemy. He chased the enemy. He struck the enemy again. And then the enemy flees in verse 11. He's not done yet. God shows up, and guess what happens? It says, in some translations, it says hailstones. In some, it says large stones. But let me put it this way. If it's killing people, it's big stones. God is, God is doing this. It's God's victory, but he still lets us be a part of it. I can't tell you, I, I want to be a part of it. I hope we all want to be a part of it. But sometimes we separate Joshua from the New Testament and what the New Testament shares about Jesus. We see Jesus as kind of a mild-mannered, sacrificial savior that doesn't fight for a lot of things. We completely forget about the passage where he dumps over temple tables and he whips things and he kind of like, whoa, that's so different. We need to see Jesus as a warrior fighting for us. Dale Ralph Davis said it so simply, no mild God or soft Jesus can give his people hope. If God's not fighting for us, then everyone can be against us. I'm flipping the phrase. If you've ever heard the Chris Tomlin song, it, it goes, if God is for us, who can be against us? And it's actually from Psalms. And in the Proverbs, it mentions something very similar. If God is not for us, then who isn't against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? But God, the God that has supreme, absolute, and ultimate power, can be a warrior fighting for us. And we're not even to the best part of the passage yet. Are you guys excited? Okay. Oh, that was another. Oh, uh, no, I don't know about that one. This is the best part of the passage here, these last three verses. I love this part. 
We serve a God that has unlimited power. Unlimited. And we kind of just decide to not tap into that and just be like, you know, I'll pray at dinner. Thank God for the food. But I'm not, like, passionate about it. And so we get to verse 12, and Joshua does something completely crazy. He's, com- he's off his rocker. Verse 12. At that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, he said in front of the people, this is so important. Sun stands still at Gibeon and the moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nations, nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There's no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. I'm going to say this, and I don't want anyone to raise hands, but how many of us, and and I'm saying this because I've been in that boat, is it hard sometimes to pray in front of people? But Joshua, that's what he starts with here. That's how he starts what's going on here. He initiated a prayer in front of everyone. That's the equivalent of me getting a line over here. We'll get a line on the side here, and we'll have you guys all walk up, and individually you can pray in front of everyone. That's, I mean, that's what he did. He just prayed in front of everyone. He's just like, I'm going to pray. He was bold and daring because he saw the power of God. It was during the battle. Can you imagine they're fighting? And everyone's like, why is Joshua yelling at God, you know, shouting this prayer? And then God did something. During the battle, this, it's almost as if it's not even won yet, but, but Joshua prays this prayer and God gets credit for the victory because what happens next is nothing short of miraculous. So much so, like I said at the beginning of the sermon, verse 14, there's been no day like it before or since. And when that says it in the word of God, I, I, I can bet without any, any lack of accuracy that it will never happen again. But this tells us something. God answers prayer in every situation. Every situation. It's not small ones. It's not big ones. It's, it's every situation. When Joshua prayed, God answered right away. This was different. It was initiated by Joshua instead of God choosing and initiating when they crossed the Jordan or when Jericho, when they walked around Jericho, God initiated those. Joshua initiated this because he already knew what God had promised here. And it was so miraculous that it says there it was recorded by an outside source. It wasn't just here in the book of Joshua. The sun stopped, the moon stopped until God's promise was fulfilled that they had total victory. That is the creator God intervening in creation. I mean, isn't that who we want to serve? David Howard put it this way, God rules over all natural laws and can do whatever he chooses to do. When I, when I was younger, people would ask me, like, and again, this was like a common thing, I guess, can God do something, or what can God do that he can't undo or something, you know, can God make a rock so big that he can't move it? You know, God can do whatever he wants with whatever he wants because he created the natural laws. He created everything. There's no day like it before or since. 
The importance of this day is as much the miracle as it is God answering and hearing the prayer of a man. We always look at what happened and we look at how the sun stood still here and I've heard so many different things about this. I, I, I've read books about it. And we always look at the miracle but we forget the fact that God answered the prayer of a man. God listened to a man as to stop the sun. God caused the sun to sit in the sky and not move. Guess what? Back then, they didn't understand that we're orbiting around the sun. What happened? I have no idea. Can you imagine what had to happen for this to happen? Like, like did God just all of a sudden decide all the planets were not going to move for a while? Did all of a sudden the gravity shift? I don't know. But I do know that God caused the sun to stand still. And this is the example of one person's influence in the power of prayer. We cannot be flippant with prayer. And I feel like as, as we get older, our prayer life changes. Because if you go down to like my youngest children, a two-year-old's prayer. God, thank you for mommy. Thank you for daddy. And then they start going through siblings. Now, obviously, I don't pray that way anymore. I do thank God for my family. But it looks a little different. We can't be flippant with prayer. I'm going to read a couple of verses here, and I'll give you the reference right after. Who is like our God, who is seated on high, who looks down far down on the heavens and the earth? Psalm 113.5. When he calls to me, I will answer him. This is God. I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and honor him. Psalm 91.15. God is here answering our prayer. No prayer is too small, but more importantly, and the thing that we forget, no prayer is too large. We, we forget and we, we, we pray for things that are, you know, God's like, eh, that's not big enough. That's, that's nothing. I can do that. These other prayers that are God-only prayers. Have you ever had a moment where you prayed for something and it's really almost a 50-50 chance that it'll actually happen? It's just kind of like, yeah, maybe it'll happen. But we don't pray for things like the salvation of our family members or friends. Because that's something only God can do. True salvation that comes from that. Our victories that God provides may be different than Joshua's here. So I, I, I don't want to give you the idea that if you leave here and you start praying for the sun to stand still for a day, that God's going to do that. Because it does say it won't happen again. But I think if you look at Joshua, his prayer was public and his prayer was big, big prayer. But we will have great victories just like Joshua. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Do you have the courage to pray like that? What's your prayer today? Think in your head, what, what, what are you praying for? And maybe you're like me, that sometimes you wake up and you think of like 15 things that you need to pray for or that are on your mind. What is your prayer today? What's the deepest desire of your heart? Joshua, I think, had some right motives here when he prayed because he prayed in front of everyone. He was bold about it. And you know what? God does not succumb to peer pressure. I just think God rewards boldness and courage. 
Because it's not because everyone heard the prayer that God answered it. It's because God was going to answer the prayer because Joshua asked. And he was being righteous and faithful. And that was God's promise to the people. And so if God's promised you something in his word, why aren't you praying for it? Maybe the deepest desire is that there's a family member or a friend that needs Jesus that you know, since this whole thing started, all they're doing is watching one channel and it's network news and they're always panicked about everything. Maybe that's the person you need to talk to. Or maybe there's friends that you haven't seen since March. Is the prayer relief, is your prayer relief from the craziness of today? The uncertainty that we find ourselves with. Do we need healing in our land? Can I get an amen? Do we need some healing? (laughs) Do we need healing in our country? Because I'm not talking about physical healing. I'm talking about healing in general. There's, There's so many different things that are broken right now in our country and in our world and I, I, if, if people stood up and prayed like Joshua, I think we'd see a lot more things going on. What are you going to pray that you're struggling to believe God can do? What are you going to pray that you're struggling to believe God can do? What is your most audacious, like, out there prayer that you have that you're asking God maybe for patience Maybe for joy. I think a lot of people's joy has been stolen recently. Maybe that this prayer is one that others might laugh at about how unbelievable it is, but God can answer. Much like Joshua, declaring a prayer that only God can answer before people is because we have the confidence to let others know because we know God is going to respond to our prayer. Have the courage to be bold in your prayers. If we're not bold, you know, I'm going to go back to my daughter's prayer. Thank you, God. She's she's thanking. She's not asking. She's thanking, which is another type of prayer, and that's good. But God, please help the people I come in contact with to see Jesus in me. God, help me to understand what a right relationship looks like with other people. God, change my heart. I'm really hurting. Those are the kind of prayers that only God can answer. That we need the courage to pray. We need to have ultimate dependence on God. And that ultimate dependence starts with sometimes getting on our knees and praying leading by example if you're if you're if you have family you know dads moms this is what it starts with is leading by example and there may be uncertainties and we try to fix those uncertainties but we don't go to God before and we learned what happened with that with Israel in the past passages but in this passage Joshua flips that on its head and God shows up in such a way that it's never happened before So what? What's the big deal? Why should we go to God? It's because he has supreme, absolute, and unlimited power. His Holy Spirit can move in our hearts, our minds, change us to be more like his son, Jesus Christ. The sacrificial savior that both is a warrior fighting for us and then also went to the cross to die for us. 
and God answers prayer in every situation. Just yesterday, I was, I was texted from a dear friend from church that was going into the hospital to have a procedure done and said, it's going to happen at this time. And so what I did is I said, I will pray at exactly that time. Is there any other time I should pray? No, just pray at that time. I prayed at that time specifically. I got a text later that they were okay and they're going to be out of the hospital today, which is shocking because it was very serious. But I sit here and I go, why, one, do we normally not share those things? There's a lot of people that don't like to share things like that for others to pray for. And the other part of it is, why don't we pray with such passion? You know, my children wondered why I was praying so, like, I don't know, excitable in that moment. But it's like it was real. Like, I'm praying for this person, and I don't know God's going to be with them in that surgery. Well, why, why am I so passionate about it? Because sometimes it's like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Well, are we, are we getting on our knees and praying passionately because we know God can change the situation? Or are we being flippant with prayer? I think something that does need a change in, in the church in general is an openness about praying out loud and being willing to pray out loud in front of others. And I think the reason I say that is I look at the example of Joshua and he prayed with boldness. I think sometimes we're afraid of God not answering our prayers and I don't know why we should ever be afraid of that. And that's a fear we have. So we need to have courage to have bold prayers and be open about those prayers. I prayed for something for my wife for six years and it happened. It was exciting. No one else knew the prayer was answered. Can you imagine that? You imagine like, like Joshua, at least everyone got to see what happened. But imagine praying something for a long period of time and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, I can't share with anyone because really like no one knows. And if I share, they're going to be like, oh yeah, okay, cool. It's like, no, it's been six years. That's how excited we need to be about prayer. Like we need to be praying those things and, and, and passionate in our pursuit of God because he's the one that has the supreme, ultimate, unlimited power in the universe. So I'm gonna pray this morning as we close the service and we're gonna sing a song, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray that this week, each one of us, the way that God's gifted us and the way that God's moved in our life, that we would pray without ceasing, as it describes in the New Testament, that there would be moments of passionate prayer in our lives. Maybe it's all alone, maybe it's away from everyone else, and if your life's busy, you probably don't have any time away from someone else, so good luck, your kids will watch you or someone else will see you praying, and that's a good thing. But let's spend time this week focused on praying for our country our friends, our family, in ways that God can only move. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just ask, much like this day that we read about in Joshua chapter 10, where, where the sun stopped, the moon stopped, and God, you provided victory to the people because you promised that. And God, there are many promises in your word of what you do for your people and through your people. And we just ask that this week you would allow us the privilege of just being able to pour out our cares, our concerns to you, God, because you're listening. In a world filled with 
people staring at screens. God, there is no screen you're staring at. You're looking right at us and listening to us and giving us your attention. And yet, sometimes we run from you. So God, I just pray today that we would run to you this week. That you, we would run to you in prayer and pray things that maybe we haven't prayed for a long time because you didn't answer when we wanted to. That you would allow us to pray things that you will answer. But God, allow us to be patient and wait on you. Because your plans are perfect and your will is perfect. We say all this in Jesus' name.